The autumn term of 2022 was meant to be a return to normality. The start of an academic year when schools finally got back into their rhythm after more than two years of disruption caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. A new beginning that brought relief and optimism to many head teachers across the UK, but for 14 of them and their schools, 2022 was anything but a normal year. Another virus, but this one's digital, bringing with it the prospect of financial loss, fraud, legal action, reputational damage, and much more seriously, threats to the safety of vulnerable children. I'm Adrian Lester, and welcome to another episode of True Cybercrime Stories brought to you by BT. In this episode, we'll be looking at how notorious cybercriminal groups have targeted the education sector with attacks against schools, not just in the UK, but around the world. We at the universities routinely see about 20,000 cyber attacks a day. That's not including attacks which have sort of stopped upstream from us. It's late September 2022. The new term is just a few weeks old at a grammar school in a large town in England's West Country. Teachers turn on their big screens at the front of the class. Admin staff send out updates across the school network. Children run in between classes. It's seemingly a regular day. Suddenly, the phone lines go down. And alongside that, the school's entire IT system the school contacts parents and carers to let them know about the issue, and a few days later they're contacted again from new email accounts created by the staff containing updated contact details. For parents, it's nothing out of the ordinary. A week passes, and another email. This time, the head teacher has a more serious message to convey, revealing to parents that the school's systems have been accessed by an unauthorized third party and that teachers can't log into online learning platforms. The school goes on to share that they have notified the Information Commissioner's Office and the police about this breach. A few more days pass, and another email from the head teacher. This one has everyone sitting up taking note. Regrettably, it now appears that some of our data was taken by the criminal organization and placed on the dark web. It's the first time they reference a criminal organization. They go on to reassure parents that the data is not easily accessible and only available to a limited audience with the technical knowledge and ability to access this specific site. If we learn that any significant data has been affected in this way, you will be informed and provided with guidance and assistance. Now, whilst some parents are understandably concerned about this, the true extent of the data breach will not reveal itself until much later. But who is this criminal organization they refer to? They call themselves Vice Society. So Vice Society, a group which began to emerge around summer 2021, and they're a highly organized criminal gang, which most people attribute to Russia. The gang have actually shown quite a cynical, sort of jarring sense of humor. That's George Buden, cyber incident response lead at the Open University. 
What separates Vice Society from most of these other gangs is the fact that they disproportionately target education and the public sector. Between May 2022 and April 2023, around 40% of the gang's attacks targeted education, um, and I think that the standard for most ransomware gangs across the board is around 4%. Interestingly, um, the majority of victims are in the US and UK. Um, and, you know, in the UK alone in 2022, it was estimated that around 70% of attacks against the education sector were linked to Vice Society. Well known to the FBI and the US government's cybersecurity agency, they are described as an intrusion, exfiltration, and extortion hacking group. And their aim is to infect their IT systems with ransomware. Now, ransomware is a generic term for when information is accessed and encrypted, preventing users from accessing files, databases, and applications. After infecting these systems, criminal organizations then demand a ransom to be paid in order to restore access. Further details on how the cyber attack unfolds at this particular school are hard to come by. Not surprising, considering the risk of this happening again. But we get an idea of it from looking elsewhere. All your files have been encrypted by Vice Society. All your important documents, photos, databases were stolen and encrypted. If you do not contact us within seven days, we will upload your files to Darknet. This panic-stirring text is shown in leaked images of a computer screen that were taken by a member of staff at a school in the US also targeted by Vice Society earlier that year. The only method of recovering files is to purchase a unique private key. In other words, pay a ransom. The message continues, ruthless, emotionless. We are the only who can give you tool to recover your files. To prove that we have the key and it works, you can send us two files and we decrypt it for free. By all accounts, Vice Society is a group to be taken very seriously. You see, they're more than just hackers. They're known to be a cunning, organized group of cybercriminals. I think it's really easy to think as the, of these gangs as, you know, lone wolf types. And it's actually really important to understand that they operate effectively as a business. Like any other number of businesses are in the world, they're going to have multiple departments, you know, HR, administrators, coders, researchers. And it's sort of important to understand that like any other business, ultimately what they're after is financial gain. Authorities in the UK and US believe they're based in or are linked to Russia because of their use of the Russian language in their ransom campaigns and coding. You could definitely try and attribute it to a particular state. I think what's probably more important is to understand that wider behavior. A lot of the time these threat actors are operating in a country where there's this geopolitical climate, which means there's not really an appetite for chasing and prosecuting these gangs if they're not going for domestic targets. Regardless of their origin, their malicious intent is clear. They identify weaknesses in school digital security systems and exploit them. Once inside, important confidential data is stolen and locked away, rendered inaccessible. Then the situation escalates. Vice Society presents a double threat. Pay to regain your files and pay to keep them offline. They present an impossible dilemma. Comply with their demands or face the consequences. The reason that this personal data is so valuable is that you don't know how it could be abused because it might be that actually you've got students in sensitive situations. For example, with us, we have students who are in the prison service 
and sometimes the release of this data could actually be dangerous. What puts even more pressure on them as well is that, you know, obviously you've got, you know, regulations in place such as GDPR, and when you sort of see these breaches on this sort of scale, if you're found to be negligent, and actually, you know, that perhaps you're responsible to an extent for this breach, your company could see, you know, even if it is a public sector organisation, you can see like 4% of your annual global turnover as a fine. At the end of the day, you know, that sort of money, particularly in the education sector, that could be it. That could be you finished. And Vice Society regularly follows through on their threats. Their technical sophistication makes the attacks difficult to detect and defend against. While their methods may seem basic on the surface, the way they ingeniously weaponize ordinary tools is what makes them effective. Let's take a minute to break it down. A common tactic they use is called phishing. This involves sending emails impersonating trusted sources, trying to trick the recipient into clicking malicious links or downloading infected attachments that give the hackers access. So with phishing, for example, I think what we've started to see at the university is over the last six months, we've actually started to see these attacks become more complex. And one of the latest trends that we're seeing is the use of QR codes. So, for example, with us, we've got security systems in place which allow us to know when individuals interact with links. But what attackers are starting to do is that they're sending people QR codes um, and they're basically claiming that they're from Microsoft or some, in some cases, they're using an email forward to make it look like a legitimate email. Um, they're then contacting the user and basically saying to them, oh, you've got an urgent password reset, scan this QR code. And what happens is that when the individual goes and scans this QR code, obviously it's bypassing all of our security features because, you know, it's going taking place on the user's personal phone and we're not seeing it. Luckily, you know, we managed to take action immediately and, you know, sort of prevent any malicious actions from taking place. Once inside the network, ransomware criminals rely on stealth. They use legitimate administrative tools so their actions blend right in, camouflaging their presence and activity. It's like slipping on a high-vis jacket in a big office construction site and wielding a clipboard. Blending right in, they can slip through the organization with a tool bag full of ill-gotten gains. Cybercriminals behind ransomware attacks often spend weeks or more poking around anonymously before making their move. They look for backup servers, disconnected systems, obscure folders, any cached data they can target for exfiltration. When ready to encrypt files for ransom, they often use what's called ransomware as a service. This is ransomware that can be purchased on the dark web. Let's try and understand a bit better how hackers lock up the data. Imagine a friendly note you email to a colleague. Shall we go for pizza on Tuesday? Now imagine you create a secret code to scramble that message, making it look like a confusing jumble of letters, numbers, and symbols. This is a simplified view of what encryption does. It scrambles data so it can only be understood if you have the secret code or key to unscramble it. From the perspective of the victims, the amount of pressure that you get put on you, you know, particularly within the organisation, is just immense. And then on top of that, they were going for triple extortion and they were actually going and contacting, you know, the, the breach victims. So, for example, case, you know, it might be students or it might be staff members and saying to them, right, 
your company hasn't paid up this ransom, we're going to publish your details online. You can either pay us $1,000 individually or we're going to publish you know, your phone number, your email address, like where you live on the internet. Now, Vice Society have been attacking all kinds of educational organizations since 2021, as well as healthcare firms and manufacturers. Aside from the UK and the US, their victims are sprawled across the globe, including in Argentina, Brazil, and Israel. In many of these cases, the stolen data ends up on the dark web. Does this mean the ransoms weren't paid? We don't know for sure. Do not try to decrypt your data using third-party software. It may cause permanent data loss. I think a lot of the time, the advice people give is that you should just walk away and that you should never pay the ransom, but I don't think it's that simple. Like, what do you do when that means the end of the business or hundreds of thousands of student records are gonna be published online? There is a distinctive quirk that emerges in almost all ransomware attackers' tactics. They negotiate. Yes, Many show surprising willingness to barter over the ransom amount, sometimes dropping it as much as 60% from the initial figure. This calculated mercy does nothing to diminish their twisted power play. Even in negotiation, groups like Vice Society pull the strings, setting the pace and the rules. So, Back to the autumn term in the UK. Your files are encrypted by Vice Society. A college in St. Helens, renowned for educational excellence, now finds itself on Vice Society's hit list. Meanwhile, a comprehensive school in Durham also falls victim. A respected London university suffers a breach too, with sensitive files stolen. Forced to inform its global community, this institution mobilizes resources against further intrusions. But uncertainty lingers. Has Vice Society gained access to personal data? The community holds its breath, hoping for the best but fearing the worst. So who, if anyone, bends to the ransom demands of the hackers? Well, information is unclear, but what we do know is that by January 2023, 500 gigabytes of confidential data is leaked into the public domain, including passport scans, staff pay scales, contract details, and sensitive student data, including special educational needs information. Since this data leak, more schools in the UK have been targeted, and across the sector, the threat posed by cybercrime is growing. In findings published by the UK government in April 2023, 63% of secondary schools said they identified breaches or attacks in the 12 months previous. Primary schools, 41%. And in higher education, it's even worse. 85% of institutions say the same. But in all of these organizations, the burning question is, how were these elaborate attacks allowed to happen? In the aftermath, diligent security investigators work to rebuild and restore. But damage runs deep. Students' coursework is affected. Staff lose research. Uncertainty prevails. So why target schools in the first place? 
I think a lot of the time when people think of education, you're not immediately going to think of money, right? In fact, if anything, you're probably going to think of the opposite. But that is exactly almost precisely why they are targeting education. You know, like you've got constrained budgets, which means that actually they're not going to be able to afford the top security tooling. Um, and interestingly, sometimes, well, actually, you've got a large number of staff and perhaps you've got a large sort of, you know, sort of cash flow. And on the flip side as well, when you actually think about it, you know, for example, places like universities and even schools to an extent, they're going to have large amounts of personal data on students. And also you're going to be holding sensitive research data. The answer is complex, yet simple. They're soft targets, data rich, but defense poor. This isn't an isolated incident. It's an international blight. And it's not simply vice society who are the perpetrators of ransomware attacks, and not just educational institutions who are the victims. Millions of people across a wide area can be affected all at once. In the spring of 2021, the east coast of the United States experienced a severe fuel shortage when a hacker group called DarkSide accessed the IT network which operates the major colonial pipeline. As a result, DarkSide stole 100 gigabytes of data and infected Colonial Pipeline's IT with ransomware. The pipeline was shut down for several days to prevent the ransomware from spreading, with the firm paying the hackers the equivalent of over $4 million in Bitcoin to restore the system. Although the US Department of Justice later recuperated a large proportion of that back, it was later revealed that DarkSide made the hack by stealing just one password, as the company didn't have multi-factor authentication in place. These two attacks highlight a critical issue, the stark lack of cybersecurity resources that can be exploited across many different industries. For under-resourced schools, it's not just about data retrieval and ransom negotiations. It reflects an overarching problem, that cybersecurity isn't a priority in a sector where budgets are very tight and index-linked to student numbers. When hacker groups strike, these schools, some very small, have minimal means to defend themselves. Their IT teams valiantly try to shield their institutions from constant lurking threats, but it's an uphill battle when they lack necessary resources. Yet in some cases, the difference between being cyber secure and cyber vulnerable can be just how fortified your passwords are. Cyber is critical to any sector, uh, but for education, I think the real key is investment, unfortunately. It's no longer that cyber is a nice to have, cyber is a necessity. I think ultimately, from our experience at the university, we've learned that it's, you know, making use of third-party intelligence sharing, working with communities, working with other universities and schools to actually understand what sort of attacks are taking place, and not just utilising that knowledge, but actually feeding into it yourself. And I think it's making sure that you've got security tooling in place, and not only have you got it in place that is configured correctly. The problem is, it's always going to be an arms race. and. I think what makes it hard is that in the world of IT and security, best practice changes. It might be that something five years ago, which was completely normal practice, is now actually found to be incredibly insecure. And 
what you've got to do is you've got to constantly be fighting this battle of actually making sure that yeah our systems are up to date and that we're up to date you know and that actually we're not just putting it on the back burner and forgetting about it and what a vice society they are still very much at large no one has ever been charged arrested or even identified as being part of the group their threat is still there In our tightly woven digital world, no sector is invulnerable to online threats. Incidents like the one in this and other episodes serve as stark reminders that our cherished everyday spaces, be they schools, hospitals, or virtual spaces like our social media accounts, can be penetrated by hackers unknown. As we part ways, we invite you to ponder how can we, in this era teeming with technology, shield our varied digital domains and safeguard our data? By remaining vigilant, informed and updated, we can navigate the complexities of cyber adversities, paving the way towards a future of secure, unrestricted digital exploration. True Cybercrime Stories is brought to you by BT, because BT means business. It's presented by me, Adrian Lester, and featured George Boudin. This series is brought to you by Audi. The producers are Yolen Goffin, Phil Brown, and Ivor Manley. Scripting is by Shanti Midnight. The executive producers are Harry Watson and Sally Miller. True Cybercrime Stories reimagines real events based on primary sources and publicly available news reports. No responsibility or liability is assumed for any errors or omissions. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are their own. Hold up. 